0: The difference between the haves and have-nots in the world of broadband services, think of it as a digital divide in high-speed internet, can be felt in business, education, healthcare, and at home. Without it, of course, you might have difficulty listening to this podcast. Here to connect Kansas Reflector listeners to challenges and opportunities of spreading the broadband wealth are Stanley Adams of the Kansas Department of Commerce and Daniel Friesen of IdeaTech, a Bueller Kansas company working to extend fiber in Kansas. Welcome to you both.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Tim. It's good be to be here.
0: Yes, thanks for taking time out of your busy day. Mr. Adams, will will start with you. The reality in Kansas and in other states is there are pockets that exist where high-speed, reliable, affordable internet service isn't available. Can you just help us with some of the reasons for that?
2: Well, there, that's, that's true. There are um, areas of our state where connectivity is really a challenge. And it's really a, a legacy issue over time as technology has evolved. Um, Some some areas, particularly in sparsely um, populated, less dense areas are generally gonna be um, the areas where we find the most challenging um, connections, primarily because the business case is not present. So you don't have the private sector moving in um, to those types of areas. So over time, the uh, funding from the FCC, um, primarily, but at the federal level, Going back all the way to the telephone service, uh, telephone, um, its universal access has just been one of those things that we've always had to try to catch up the communities that are um, that are getting that are getting left behind otherwise.
0: Yeah, across America, there are people that had telephones and and reliable electrical service before others did too. That's part of the uh, development of technology. Also, Mr. Adams, do you have any sense of where Kansas ranks in terms of connectivity uh, pre-pandemic? I saw somewhere in 2019, we were about 38. Does that sound
2: reasonable? Yeah, Yeah, you know, that's a really a good question and a tricky question because there's so many data sources and different lenses to look at. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, um, you know, I would probably say we're middling um, compared to other states, but, you know, I can uh, see where you could find data that would suggest us um, being on the opposite extremes. But the fact of the matter is, particularly when you talk about robust infrastructure, um, that's where we are, um, we've are. we got a lot of work to do.
0: Okay, Mr. Friesen, we're gonna talk about your company's work in detail in a second, but I wondered if you could first highlight areas in which the service gap was exposed by the COVID-19 fallout.
1: Sure, Tim, you know, the COVID-19 really uh, eliminated uh, a lot of deficiencies across the United States, especially in rural areas, but, but um, not just rural areas, um, uh, urban environments too. But generally speaking, um, if we focus on rural um, broadband user issues related to, to the COVID pandemic, um, typically users pre-pandemic had uh, three sources of internet. Um, typically, you know, children in homes had had high-speed internet. At schools, uh, uh, workers and and people that, that um, went to work every day had, had fairly robust internet. Typically, at, at their work, and then, and then the third option, uh, of course, was was home internet. Well, you know, the the components of of Covid and um, isolating people to their homes really uh, overwhelmed an already um, uh, poor-functioning uh, rural broadband infrastructure in in the United States and in Kansas, and so it was it was overloaded, and and people just did not have the ability to do the things remotely that. Um, before the pandemic was okay because they would do that at school or work. But um, the realization that um, people now have to work and school from home um, really exacerbated the issues we have. And and now they're kind of permanent issues that require a a permanent solution.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, well, the pandemic COVID-19 starting in early 2020 has been lethal, sickening, and very stressful but the flow of federal disaster aid has presented the opportunity of a lifetime uh, in terms of massive investment in broadband. Mr. Friesen, you, your company is playing a big role in that with CARES Act money. Can you just explain the scope of the project you're involved in and what your goals are?
1: Yeah, happy to. You know, The um, CARES funding that, that occurred, it was kind of the, the first tranche of, of COVID response funding Uh, From the federal government um, came through the state, and we had the pleasure of working with with the Department of Commerce and the broadband department um, that Stanley heads up. And um, that was an opportunity uh, of a lifetime for us to extend um, thousands of connections, um, 13,000, in fact. Over 17 counties in in a very short amount of time, and our company is very entrepreneur entrepreneurial and really thrive on 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 high pressure opportunities like that. And so, you know, we, we took took a uh, an opportunity to apply for as much as we thought we could get done in three to four months, and uh, we're very appreciative of. The Department of Commerce and their willingness to um, take that uh, opportunity alongside us, and uh, we ended up getting about thirty percent of the CARES Act infrastructure funding in um, the state. I think there were about fifty applicants in total, and you know the the really cool thing about um, that investment besides the, the obvious that it really accelerated an opportunity to get people permanently connected to advanced high-speed infrastructure. But it also allowed us to leverage uh, a lot of private investment in a, in a hurry for Kansas infrastructure. And it allowed us to build lasting uh, middle mile and, and other connectivity that's going to allow us to build the next generation of of connectivity, whether it be 5G, uh, whether it be um, additional fiber optic connectivity to even more uh, rural uh, locations.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, 13,000 connections, 17 counties. It it speaks to the demand for this, I guess. Mr. Adams, can can you frame what he was talking about with his company from kind of a more statewide perspective? Like what's trying to what what they're trying to from a statewide perspective, what the CARES Act money is trying to accomplish.
2: Right. So there's a couple of thoughts to share on that, right? Number one, um, the, the CARES Act was really critical and it was also very uh, a very compressed time frame, in which we had to act. Um, this was literally in the throes of the pandemic when the funding first came available. And the truth of the matter is it was very difficult because what we're talking about is uh, critical infrastructure. Infrastructure is hard to build overnight. So what in fact you had happening across the state, companies um, were, we were tasking companies to to help us get people connected. And with that tight timing, it was only going to be companies like IdeaTech who were already forward thinking and moving in the direction that we needed to go in, um, that they were able to, we were able to work with them on that quick timing to put together meaningful projects. And the other, the other comparison contrast that we were struggling with in the with the with the um, the accelerated timeline, we really tried to place an emphasis, and this is what we, we shared with all of the service provider community. Our preference was for, even given the tight timing, we really wanted to encourage the CARES Act funds to be going towards connectivity that was sustainable, right? That was gonna be either scalable or a rapidly deployable um, at the higher capacity, right? Which is what Idea Tech was able to do um, um, for most of the projects that they did with the, with our department. The other, the other thought about that is we wanted to, to try to strike that balance in terms of immediate impact. So we, we really, you know, have to tip our hats to those who uh, the service providers and communities that took on the project, because as Daniel will tell you, um, that was a, uh, it, was, it was snowing outside on some of those days. And, and, and that's not to mention, I, I really do wanna make sure we recognize this was one of the other challenges that we had to overcome collectively. Getting people connected in a pandemic is hard in and of itself, because once you get them connected, you've gotta, typically you're gonna have to uh, go indoors, go inside someone's house and and make that final connection or figure out a way around that. So we we really were, we came away feeling really good about the level of effort and um, the expertise that that, uh, companies like IdeaTech brought to the table. Again, especially given the tight timing. We knew we were, we were up against a very tight timing to make the impact. But all in all, the CARES Act really was very helpful in turbocharging our focus on driving sustainable connectivity in the state.
0: And nothing like millions of dollars falling from the sky. Mr. Adams, can you give us some metric Mr. Friesen did about connections and counties? Can you give us some sense of how this money was spread about the state and, and what has been accomplished?
2: Right. So, and I'm not going to remember all of the key stats off the top of my head, but I can tell you this, we had a total of $50 million that we invested in infrastructure projects um, under the CARES Act funding. And those projects were, we basically had companies and local communities submit their applications to us. Um, What we found, I can tell you a couple of things, what we found in that rapid timing, we ended up with way more... Uh, funding requests then we have funding available, right? Mm-hmm. So that kind of is another indicator of the demand, the need for um, infrastructure projects to, uh, across our state. We, we pretty much touch every corner of the state. Um, you can find uh, the projects uh, specifically on our website, kansascommerce.com backslash broadband. You'll see uh, where our projects are, uh, where we've done uh, under that one, as well as a couple of other projects that we've got going.
0: Mr. Friesen, can you? I, I know you're supposed to be a, an executive at twenty thousand feet, but can you walk us into uh, a small community or, or an urban area and and kind of draw a picture for us of what it could mean in a in a home or a, or a business to have access to high speed internet now?
1: Uh, I'd be happy to. In fact, you know th- this is this is what we get excited about at IdeaTech and and these. Individual stories that that we hear almost on a daily basis of the of the life changing impact of bringing people broadband for the first time is 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 why we do what we do. Uh, you know, just a few you know um, anecdotal uh, stories here. The uh, in Mead County, for example, Mead was the worst connected county and the state having 0% connectivity before we started and we we reached near 100% connectivity on that and um you know that was very successful because of the the work of some some really um strong-willed local uh county representatives including uh, county commissioner Randy Lees and state representative Boyd Orr and and every time we'd go a uh, lobby for broadband deployment in Topeka they would they would be right there with us and and we kind of grew a relationship and and they're who we reached out to or they reached out to us when when the, the time was right but more specifically you know uh, you know I've got some examples here where we're in Meade County uh we had students that would have to drive to the top of a hill to connect to a hotspot to, to do their schoolwork, or in Chase County at a rancher that had to drive 30 miles into town to buy and sell his cattle. That he would do, they do that online now. Mm-hmm. Our children had to drive into town to zoom with teachers. In Reno County, we had a, a web developer that operated on her hotspot and drove to the nearest community to upload files if. You know anything about web developing you need high-speed internet to to build the best uh, web pages and she was considering moving from her her dream country home because of her connectivity issues um i've got a few more if you want to hear them
0: no i do i think these okay. are excellent I, i'm fascinated by this and yeah the uh um, yeah. and
1: in in pratt county there was a, a farm family again a lot of these um, individuals and this is a this is a key point you know I think people often feel that cellular infrastructure 4G 5G is going to solve this issue in rural America that that's the technology and the infrastructure that they're they're they've been you know um, clinging for life on just to get by right this is not the technology that's going to get them to the advanced broadband service they need. So in Pratt County, this, again, a family um, stuck on their phone hotspots. They couldn't use the precision mapping for their farming technology because of the large files they needed over cellular networks. Um, We had a great um, opportunity to work with a local banker in Cottonwood Falls. He was a champion for the community that was, he was thinking about cutting jobs and, and moving um, his his bank elsewhere because they couldn't do the day-to-day business they needed to do and this was this was in town right there, there's still some struggles we have with with in-town connectivity in some rural rural communities like um, Cottonwood Falls so you know we had we had a lot of fun uh putting up um community hotspots spots and and you know, connecting um, people back to their churches um, for Sunday service and, um, you know, connecting kids to their schools and, and entrepreneurs to their businesses. So it's it's uh, the, the stories go on and on and uh, they're daily in, in magnitude for us. And, and it's very rewarding to be in this business and be able to help change people's
0: lives. I'm not very technologically skilled, but when the computer breaks down, it just about makes me want to weep until um, somebody else can come along and bail me out. Um, so, uh, Mr. Adams at Commerce, this, this investment from federal government, and I think the state has put money into this uh, specifically as well, but, but we're leapfrogging years, are we not, in terms of development of access? Um, that's true, right?
2: Right, that is indeed um, not to be lost in this. What we've done in the last year or so um, is more than we've done um, over a number of years as a state. In fact, prior, just prior to the pandemic, the state was was planning and put into the budget was approved. The governor signed in the legislation um, a, a, a funding mechanism for us to begin with the infrastructure buildouts that ended up being eclipsed by the CARES Act just because of the magnitude of the dollars. But this, this has been a problem. I, I like to say we got the CARES Act turbocharged our efforts. We were already headed down the right path, recognized that the robust connectivity, critical to economic growth, critical to healthcare, critical to education. The, the funding, as we mentioned, the funding is was the kind of the, the oxygen that was needed to breathe. So we have been able to move tremendously further down the path in connecting many, many, many more communities um, since this this focused effort. And I hasten to add that in addition to the CARES Act and the Broadband Acceleration Grant Program which is funded by the state I mentioned, we also anticipate additional funding, actually even larger investments um, in the near term um, coming from the federal funding sources, you know the good news is, the, the bad news is it took a pandemic. The good news is there's a widespread consensus um, amongst policymakers, decision makers that these types of investments need to be made to make sure we're not leaving, um, um, we're not making uh, the digital, digital divide worse. We've got to close it once and for all. So, I'm optimistic that we will be able to to do even more. The one big difference, um, and Daniel will appreciate this, we we don't expect to, to be on such a tight um, and compressed timeframe time frame as we did before. But nonetheless, we have a sense of urgency that we'd like to get as many places, um, communities connected. And again, I just you know harp on the same point: we've got to have the robust connectivity. I don't think it was come has come up, but here's the other thing I wanted to mention: all broadband is not created equal, right? So one of the challenges that we saw, and as a result of the pandemic, um, kind of a bright shining light on it, which was, you may have connectivity, but all of a sudden, you're working from home. Mom, mom and dad are working from home. Kid, kid one, kid two, let's call it right. They're doing home. They're doing classwork, not homework. Classwork from home. All of a sudden, you've got all of the folks, all of the usage requirements just spiking during the day and on a typical day that might have been okay pre-pandemic but all of a sudden it just showed kind of a foreshadowing of what's to come as bandwidth requirements increase we've got to make sure we have the infrastructure to that last mile um, in place
0: can you both take a brief stab at us indicating if there's any shortcomings of the cares act or the other federal pack state packages in terms of broadband is there there's still work to to be to be done
2: well i i think the way i would um put it is um you know i don't wear rose colored glasses but i'm very optimistic about what we are seeing um the, the the level of investment is positive and the pipeline is is being filled with the funding that we need the guidance that we're getting for how we can use those dollars are seeming to be very much consistent with with what we have been promoting in general, so we think that's very complementary to our existing work. the The timeline was addressed. Um, you know, the the compressed timeline for this type of work that was that was addressed in large from what we're saying. So I think for us the only the only I don't. The timing, uh, Daniel. I feel free to, to to add a different perspective. I know the time and compression of time was the biggest challenge, and that we had coming out of that. But I think we're we're moving. We're taking steps in the right direction.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't necessarily think there was. You know, in in, in you know, there's a lot of money. Put out there a lot of taxpayer money, and and there's a lot of opinions on that. Um, I can tell you, uh, everything that has been done in the broadband space is is one of the few bright shining lights in 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 kind of the deluge of, of funding that's being put into all kinds of things in in, in the COVID era. The, the, this was a problem that needed a solution that involved a substantial amount of investment and, and so I, I, I think the, the work around broadband funding, as Stanley alluded to, the, the fact that there really isn't a, a market-based solution for a lot of these issues. I mean, that is an area that either we decide as a country, we're gonna leave these people behind, or we decide as a country, we're gonna step up and help them. And, and that may require a little bit of taxpayer money to, to get it
0: done. It does seem to be something like water, electricity, uh, uh, police protection, uh, Sort I don't wanna call it an entitlement, but uh, you know, having broadband is, is, is sort of one of those equalizers. Of, of how we uh, as a society all uh, come together and provide equal opportunity. Uh, I think it, it produces jobs, it can, it can create uh, an, uh, an economy. Um, so there's a University of Kansas researcher that's trying to work on a map of some of the service gaps, the black holes. Why don't we have more precise maps or are maybe those maps are good on a small regional basis but not statewide, anybody?
2: Yeah, I can, I can give you um, the quick version. There are a lot of different maps. The data is really harder to get than you might think uh, because you're looking at um, publicly available information and privately available information. And you need a a data set that everybody can agree. When it comes to applying taxpayer dollars, you need a, you need a, a data set that everybody can more or less agree to. So that's a challenge. There are different, Takes on it um, at the at our level and at the federal level to try to come up with more effective ways. What we did is we tried to kind of strike a compromise. We try to have a good make use of the available mapping sources, but we also really stress to the local communities and service providers to make the case, however they know it, because to your point, the local and regional areas where they're going to have a better context for what the, what the actual needs are to help us make sure we're putting funds where the need is greatest.
0: Mr. Freeze I'm sorry I interrupted. Mr. Freeze I believe the state's new uh, transportation bill the it's a law now. Uh, the Eisenhower Transportation Plan it actually has some broadband money in it and 85 million over 10 years it's it's broken up but it's it it it, it is a uh, Big chunk of money, you know, from for somebody like me, but that that will keep the ball rolling. But do you have a sense of the real scope of the demand? Uh, do we need a billion dollars in Kansas, or are we further along than that?
1: Um, yeah, I, I think we have uh, a, a sense for the for the demand and the need, and you know it. It goes back to Stanley's point of not all broadband is connected equal. And it depends on what uh, our state wishes to do uh, in setting the, the goalposts for where we're going. You know, if 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 we want to do it right, like we've done for decades um, with our road infrastructure or traditional road infrastructure, where we're typically number one or two. Uh, in in the United States for that sort of infrastructure, we we do have to um, work to either, you know, find some uh, federal subsidies, which I, it looks like at some point those will be coming, um, or or you know to the extent we can, uh, put put in our own money. But you know from a scope perspective. Um, Boy, it's it's hard to say it's probably I you know I think Stanley and I may may disagree a little bit on on how much but it's a lot um, it's it's you know you you Tim you mentioned a billion I think it's probably um, more like a half a billion 500 $500 dollars um, and that sounds like a lot and and if you know uh, the federal government wants to put that kind of money to as you say equalize connectivity for for all of America I think it's a great opportunity for Kansas to put itself um, you know from from where we are today in middle of the pack as Stanley said to number one or two in digital roads for the future the only way we're going to do that is if and the reason the price tag is so much is because we need to connect people with with scalable, long-term connectivity. And right now, the only technology that's even close to that is fiber-optic broadband. Uh, and you need that in rural uh, parts of of the state to not get in a situation where we're having to, you know, frankly, waste taxpayer money by. Uh, building and funding three to five-year or five to seven-year solutions through fixed wireless and other products—they're—they're they're just band-aid investments that, in the long run, are going to cost us more than getting it right by putting fiber to each home in Kansas that that needs it.
0: Mr. Adams, you'll get the final word there. Uh, look forward a bit, if you if you will.
2: Well, I, um, like I said, I, I'm a little. I'm. I'm in the bit of the optimistic camp for our state becoming a leader in connectivity. Um, Daniel's right. The, the the amount of investment required is uh, the, the, that is move, a moving target. We think it's a little bit larger. It could, that's again, definitions and devils in the details. Um, but what's really critical for us as a state to move economically and to move forward um, in our education and our healthcare areas, as well as others, we have to have robust connectivity. And um, I am a big fan of competitive advantage. And I think if we keep our state wired, connected, um, fully, we will start to distinguish ourselves. It is the great equalizer. You don't have to be on the coast, either coast, in order to compete. Um, and that goes for everybody, rural and non rural areas in our state. So um, I'm optimistic of where we're going. We've got a lot of work to do. And uh, folks like Daniel and Idea Tech are a part of that solution for us.
0: All right. I want to thank our Kansas Reflector guests, broadband gurus Daniel Fries of Idea Tech in Beulah, Kansas, Central Kansas, and Stanley Adams of the State Department of Commerce. Thanks for listening.